0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mark and Nacido podcast. I am Mark and Nacido, and today we're going to do part two of my History and Music series of 1967. Uh, Last week I covered January, and uh, today I'm going to read an essay. I'm not going to cover February yet. Um, I'm going to read an essay I found online. Uh, So all of you are probably familiar with San Francisco, it was, like, the place to be during the hippie period of 1967, 68, you know, 66, whatever, uh, hippies would hang out in the corner of Hayt and Ashbury and smoke weed, take LSD, listen to music, play bongos, whatever, They're you know, hanging out, having a good time, you know, that was a, a place to be then, you know, and the human being that took place in January 14th. Which I mentioned last week. um, That pretty much started it all. For the most part. In San Francisco. Um, Today I want to touch base on. New York's alternative. Of San Francisco. Which is called East Village. Um, Yeah. So I got to touch base with this with Steve Katz. My interview with Steve Katz back in August. He did talk about. A New York's version of. San Francisco, which was East Village, very briefly, and uh, I was kind of curious about it because everyone knows about San Francisco, everyone knows about that more so than East Village, so I put up an article about East Village to get you an idea of what it was like then, in East Village, even for that matter, San Francisco, so uh, without further ado, let's get started. So today my sources I'm going to use is only one source. Uh, It's from a website called sixsquarefeet.com. So that's where I got my source from here. And it's titled, Looking Back at New York's Summer of Love and the Birth of the East Village. And it was posted on Wednesday, June 14, 2017. So it's a couple years old. Of course, it marks the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love, 1967. It was written by Kate Etherington. So let's get started. It has been 50 years since 1967's Summer of Love when young people from around the world flocked to San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury District and to other urban neighborhoods, including New York's East Village, to trip out at psychedelic dance parties, sleep in city parks, and live and do whatever they pleased. While the hippie subculture was already flourishing prior to the Summer of Love by mid-1967, Hippies and their music style and communal way of life had caught the attention of the mainstream media, as a, and as a result, reached a critical mass of young people who were now eager to ditch their suburban homes to turn on, tune in, and drop out. Reactions to the Summer of Love of New York were particularly mixed, and as the minute 50,000 young people descended on the city to join the movement, but many New Yorkers, including long-standing residents, police officers, and politicians, had little interest in spending the Summer of Love soaking up the good vibes. In the end, the city's Summer of Love saw as much conflict and violence as peace and love and debates about rental prices, real estate values, and the gentrification of the Lower East Side were all. Part of the conflict. A Tale of Two Cities. In many respects, the Summer of Love was a tale of two cities. In San Francisco, where the idea for the Summer of Love originated, over 100,000 young people from around the world flocked to the city's Hay ashbury neighborhood and the nearby San Francisco State and Berkeley University campuses. By the time they arrived, however, the Council for the Summer of Love, which was compromised, of an electric group of musicians, actors, and activists was well prepared for the onslaught. Beyond organizing happenings of all kinds, the council had already set up a free medical clinic, organized housing, arranged for free food distribution, and even troubleshoot potential sanitation problems in city parks. They did this with the support of local residents and even church groups. In sharp contrast, New York's Summer of Love got off to a rocky start on Memorial Day weekend when a group of hippies clashed with local residents and police in Tompkins Square Park. As reported on June 2, 1967 in the New York Times, police swarmed the park as tensions between hippies and anti-hippies rose against the backdrop of protest music in Tompkins Square Park. The over two hundred of op- the, the, uh, sorry. Uh, the over two hundred officers who rushed to the scene were apparently there, to restore the, t- t- to peace, at the residents and anti-hippie protesters complained that two hundred hippies had assembled in the park without a permit and were playing their bongos too loudly and too constantly. By the end of the day, dozens of injuries had been incurred by police, protesters, and hippies. Over 30 people had been arrested, and one young woman had been stripped naked by a group of anti-hippie protesters on a street corner, just outside the park. Unfortunately, such scenes of conflict and violence would continue to unfold throughout New York's Summer of Love, even as some public leaders sought to maintain the peace. Drugs, noise, and soaring rents in the New East Village uh, the summer of love was by no means confined to a single neighborhood, like San Francisco. New York's red- rendition had a clear epicenter: the East Village, and specifically St. Mark's Place between Second and Third Avenues. But if the summer of love had a center, it likely had to be more had more to do with business savvy than destiny. While some merchants despised the, the hippies, many others welcomed them flux of aff- affluent youngsters on st mark's place merchants even sought to create a night mall by closing the street to traffic from seven p m to midnight one reporter described the scene as follows raindrops and flowers gently peddle a thousand people who jammed the pavement stoops and fire escapes of st mark's place last night for a psychedelic dance party but as the article further observed below, the, f- the flow of balloons, daisies, lights, and music came grumbles. Many older Ukrainian, Italian, and Jewish residents felt that local merchants were handing over their neighborhood t- to the new arrivals, and even some long standing business owners were upset. Jerry Polk, the manager of the St. Mark's Baths, complained he was simply too old for this stuff. If many residents and even some business owners were upset about the influx, it was not without reason. While the summer of love certainly brought increased business to the Lower East Side, it also resulted in soaring rents and strategic rebranding of some parts of the neighborhood. In selling the Lower East Side Um. housing historian, Christopher Millay Millay observes that from May to June 1967, an estimated 2,000 hippies moved into old tenements adjacent to Tompkins Square Park. At the same time, rental prices soared throughout the neighborhood as demand for housing increased and leases were turned over more quickly in the summer of 1967. Properties as far east as Avenues C and D were impacted by the hippies' mass arrival and accompanying demand for housing. In the end, most of the money invested in the Lower East Side during the Summer of Love vanished as soon as the hippies started to retreat, but there was one permanent change. Following the summer of 1967, the westernmost blocks of the Lower East Side between Houston and 14th Street would be referred to as the East Village rather than the Lower East Side. According to Millet, at the time, landlords, developers, and real estate firms sought to channel the growing popularity of the East Village as a means of attracting a a broader and more equivocal category of upscale, middle-class residents. The end of the Summer of Love and Pilgrimage Upstate and Beyond Unlike San Francisco, where the summer of love vibe appeared to linger for years in New York, the summer of love really was just a summer. Following months of clashes and verbal conflicts with local residents, police, and politicians, in October of 1967, tragedy struck when a hippie couple was found murdered in a basement boiler room of a tenement building at 169 Avenue B. One victim, Linda Fitzpatrick was an 18-year-old daughter of an affluent Connecticut couple. Groovy, a well-known local drug dealer who had a a reputation for giving his LSD away for free, was also found dead at the scene. The highly publicized murder not only resulted in a massive moral panic among suburban parents who were soon contacting the NYPD to track down their missing children but also symbolically marked the end of new york's summer of love while some hippies stayed traded their jesus sandals for sturdier footwear and helped turn the east village into north america's punk rock capital others headed west to the more peaceful Hay ashbury neighborhood of san francisco or back to the land in M. State, new york vermont or massachusetts whether one stayed and fled to the countryside However, cheap real estate was certainly not on the hippie generation side. Those who stayed in New York watched real estate values plummet over the next two decades, especially on the East Village and Lower East Side, which enabled many former hippies to buy properties at rock-bottom prices. For those who headed to greener pastures, there were also deals to be found. Activist Senator Bernie Sanders still boasts about purchasing an 80 acres of land in Vermont for a mere $2,500 in the mid-1960s, and he wasn't alone. Even as the hippies were seeking peace and love, they were making smart real estate deals, which would ultimately transform both urban neighborhoods and rural destinations across the United States. And that's all I have. <laughs> that was not too long. Um, so yeah, it was really interesting reading about that. I, you know, I, I mean, I, I was, I was well aware of it vaguely. You know, I heard some about, about East Village in my interview with Steve Katz, but I uh... wanted to dig more into it because everyone knows about San Francisco. You know, it's pretty much a given in my article too. It mentioned San Francisco too, so kind of gave what it was like in a nutshell. Me in there, so. Yeah. So next week, tune in next week. Um, I'm gonna do another article I found. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be an a article about the human being event on January 14th, 1967, in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park. I'm gonna do a read an essay about that. Um, so tune in for that. Look forward to it anyway, thank you for tuning in to this podcast episode. I am Mark Anaceto again for the Mark Anaceto podcast. And if you like it, please subscribe to my podcast. You can find my podcast on apps such as iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And also, I got a YouTube channel, the Mark Anaceto Podcast, is what it's called. If you like that, please subscribe. Um, please follow me. Um, I really do appreciate it. And FYI, this is not going to be on YouTube as of yet. It might be, but don't quote me on that because I'm trying to figure out a way. I found a way to incorporate a good picture in the video. But I got to ask permission. So actually, I emailed, I reached out to the Six Square Feet website and, well, it was kind of short notice today, but I'm not going to worry about it if I don't get it or not. About um, wanting to use some photos from my podcast episode on YouTube so, if I get the yes, I'm going to probably do that sometime this next week, hopefully. But next week, for sure, you're going to get my next podcast, which is going to be about um, the human being, again, event on January 14th, 1967. So, again, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. I'm Mark Nacido, and have a good day. God bless, and goodbye.